And if you would, turn with me in the Bible, or scroll if you're using a phone, to 1 John chapter 4. We're going we're gonna to pick up right where, well, right where Andrew left off last week, and then uh, kind of right where our song left off. Um, we've got, uh, let me recap first, right? Last week, uh, if you weren't here, or if, if you just need refreshed, Andrew was here and uh, preached on just the importance of loving one another. So we just sing about love. And, uh, and he talked about from 1 John chapter 3 how uh, those who have experienced the love of God also should love, we should love one another. And hopefully you had opportunities to do that this week or uh, you at least were kind of more aware of, of opportunities for that this week. Um, and we'll talk about that a little more here in just a little bit. But um, we are going to sort of pick up where Andrew left off. We're going to talk about that four-letter word this morning. Not one of those four-letter words. All right, we're going to talk about love. Okay? Um, it is mentioned, uh, we're going to be in verses 7 through 12, and that word love shows up over a dozen times in just six short verses. And anytime you see a word just over and over and over again, probably there for a reason, right? God's trying to get our attention. And so uh, we are going to talk about love this morning. But to get us started, um, here's the deal. We love to love. For example, right, we love our spouses or our significant others, right? Amen. Ideally, that's how it's supposed to work, right? We love our children. Yes. We love our favorite sports teams. We love uh, our favorite food from our favorite restaurant, right? We love, and we, go, we love our favorite movies, we love Forrest Gump, by the way. Uh, we love, yeah, we love love. We love to love things. And hopefully we use the word love to mean different things. Uh, ideally, you don't love your spouse in the same way that you love tacos. But the, the, the point still remains, right? We love to love. Okay, and more evidence of that is I was kind of reading some stuff this week. You know, since the year 2000, uh, since the year 2000, there have been over 365 songs on the Billboard Top 100 that mention the word love in the title. Right? And that, that's just the love songs that mention the word love in the title. That's not even like love songs that just don't mention the word love in the title. So you can imagine like there's probably infinitely more, right, because we love love. Or maybe more appropriate for this season is... Uh, some of you guys are going to go home this afternoon, and it's going to be time for that Sunday afternoon nap, and you're going to turn on the TV, and you're going to find the Hallmark Channel, yes. Yes. <laughs> and, you're going to, <laughs> and you're going to watch this movie, and it's the same movie as the other 74 movies that the Hallmark Channel will show this, this season. They're all love stories, right? It's, it's the... Uh, the successful woman from the big city comes to, uh, she can't find love, and she comes back to her small hometown, and she falls in love with the handsome bachelor who owns, like, the local bakery or coffee shop. She finds love, right? And we watch it over and over. It's the same movie, like, just different scenarios or settings, but it's the same movie, right? Am I wrong? No. no. Okay. But we watch those over and over and over again because we love Love, right? We love it, right? Or to, to take a more sort of cultural, controversial turn, 
You may remember in 2015 when the Supreme Court said that uh, they, they ruled in favor of marriage equality for same-sex couples. There was this, uh, this big push, the big uh, kind of the, the message you saw promoted online and on the news, and the, the way it was celebrated and, and made much of was, the phrase was, love wins. Right? And, and all my point in, in all this is just to say that we love love. We're obsessed with love. Right? But as obsessed as we are with it, I think we're also just as uh, equally unsure of exactly how to define it. Because I, I think if we had enough time and we just uh, passed out slips of paper to everyone in this room and was like, write down how you would define love, my guess is that we would have about as many different definitions as there are people in this room. Right? Because as, as obsessed as we are with love, it's, it's a lot harder to actually nail down what love is. Exactly. Um, one of the things I read this week is there was a group of researchers that asked a group of children ages four to eight what love means. I have some of those. Are you ready? Actually, just a couple. Chrissy, age six, says that love is when you share your french fries with someone and don't ask for any french fries in return. Right? That's love. Or Carl, age five, said that uh, love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on cologne and they go and smell each other. <laughs> I'm just reporting the facts, okay? And we go on and on, right? My point is just for all our obsession about love and all our love of love, like there's a lot of confusion, even if, even if we're not, even for those of us that have progressed, progressed a little beyond ages four to eight. There's still a lot of confusion about what love is. And so the point this morning that we're going to get to is that if we're going to really understand what love is and what love requires of us, it, it means that we have to go back to the starting point of love right? or, or go back to the source of love. And so that's what John is going to do here this morning. So read with me 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. All right, so that was last week. Let us love one another, uh, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest or made known among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And so, John's going to unpack this idea of, of love here, but he, he begins by taking, what, what he's going to do is he's going to take us from the source and then he's going to take us to what it requires of us, right? But he, he begins with the source of love and, and his point is this, if you take love as this idea or this object uh, and you, you trace it back to its origin or trace it back to its source, what you see is, is love is not just an idea, love is not just a concept, Love is not just some sort of uh, philosophical 
theory, right? Love, first and foremost, is a person. Right? That's what John says. He says that uh, love is from God, but the reason that love is from God is because God is love. Right? What, what he, that means is to say God is love means that it is the, the sum or the, the essence of God's character. Right? It, love is not something that God does, like when he feels like it, he wakes up on the right side of the bed, right? It's not one of his attributes. Like, it's, it's the sum of his attributes. God is a God of love. It's, it's who he is. Just as, as you cannot do anything, um, like, you're, you're a human, right? As far as I know, most of us in here are humans. Um, that didn't give me jokes or as laughs as I thought it would. Uh, just as you are human, therefore you will act as, like, everything that you do will be inside the boundaries of being human. God is love, so everything that he does is love. Right, God is love. Here's, here's maybe a more practical way to think of it, appropriate for this time of year. Right? You, you think of all that God is. He, is. he is holy. He is sovereign. He is just. He is good. He is kind. He is gracious. He is patient. Right? All, all those things, those are all characteristics or attributes of who God is. Right? And love is not just another piece of that pie. The whole pie is love. You take all of God's attributes, all of his characteristics, and you add them together, like they're all love. Because God is love. All right, now again, at a at a you bring that down, like that's kind of big ethereal sort of out there. What do I do with that, right? But to bring it back to a sort of a practical everyday level, here, here's what that means for us. Everything that God does. Every act he performs or everything that he allows is an act of love. Right? Everything that God does, performs, or, or allows is an act of love. If God is love, it's impossible for him to act in ways that are not loving. That's because God is love. Now, the elephant in the room then is what about those moments when God doesn't feel very loving, right? Anybody ever had any of those moments? Right, where we, we're like, we, we don't know what God is doing. Right, we experience like the, the tragedies that either we experience personally or we see on TV or we read about in the news. Um, like how could a loving God allow that to happen? Right, or, or maybe the pain and the uh, the suffering that, that we've experienced personally. Right? How, how do we reconcile that with, a, with, if God is like, how is that an act of love to be allowed to experience what that is? Right? The, the sin that we've uh, received, like we've been sinned against in, in painful ways, and, and I don't want to minimize that by any means. But how do, we, how do we reconcile that with a God who is love? Right? And that's a, that's a valid question, right? And the answer to the question is, I don't know. I don't know why God allows certain things to happen. I don't know why God acts in certain ways. I don't know why God allows us to experience certain things that we would rather not experience. I don't know. I don't know his, his reasonings or his purposes or his plans, right? Contrary to 
what you might believe as a pastor. I don't have any special insights into what God is doing and His plan of redemptive history. Right? I'm, I'm not sovereign. I'm not omniscient. I'm not, uh, I'm not, I don't see everything. I don't know everything. I don't know all of God's plans and purposes. And, and spoiler alert, neither do you. But just because God doesn't feel very loving doesn't mean that he's not acting in love. Right? Uh, an illustration. Right? Right? Most of us can, can kind of understand this um, because most of us probably had parents that, I've got to be careful here, my mom's in the room this morning. Uh, most of us have parents that acted in certain ways that at the moment didn't feel very loving. Right? They, uh, they withheld things from us or they did not allow us to experience certain things in certain seasons of our life. Um, or they said no when we wanted to eat candy for breakfast. You know what I'm saying? Like There, there are times when, when we're growing up, we, we felt like our parents were not being very loving to us. Like they, they withheld from us. But now that we hopefully have gone on and we've matured a little bit, we see that, no, actually all that they did, even though in the moment it felt like they were uh, withholding good or it felt like they were... Uh, keeping things from us, or it felt like they were just trying to kill our joy. We look back on that now and we see like, oh no, they actually were acting in love. Right? They, they knew it wasn't good for me to have uh, Reese's Cups for breakfast. Right? They, they knew it wasn't good for me to spend uh, 12 hours a day watching TV or playing video games. Right? And, and we could go on and on and on. Right? We, we know this. And if that's true of imperfect parents... How much more true is that of, of our Heavenly Father? Because He is omniscient. He knows everything. Right? He's got past, present, future all laid out in front of Him. Right? It, I mean, this is going to blow your mind. Ready? God, has, like, God is not bound by time. Like God doesn't just know the future like He's there. He sees it all. And so when God acts in certain ways or allows us to ex experience certain things or withholds certain things from us. He does it with perfect knowledge of, of, of everything, past, present, future, and it's all an act of love. And if we can look back on our parents and be like, okay, now I see that they were acting in love. How much more, like in, in 10,000 years from now, how much more will we be able to look back on uh, the tragedies and the pain and the suffering that God allowed us to walk through and say, God, in the moment, I didn't know what you were doing. I couldn't see it. I couldn't understand it. It was painful and it was awful. And I, and I never wanted to go through it. Actually, I would never want to go through it again. But now that I look back, I can see how you were acting in love. All right, God is love. He cannot act in ways that are not loving. So, again, everything that he allows you to experience everything that he brings to you in the course of your life, it's, it's an act of love in some way or another. And you may live the rest of your life and never understand what God was doing. But we believe that he's doing something. And we believe it comes out of a heart that is love. All right? So God is love. But in case there's any doubt that God is love, right, what John does next is he, he kind of lays out on display Here's how you know that God is love. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says, In this, 
the love of God was made manifest or made known or, or put on display among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And if you're familiar with your Bible, specifically the other books of the Bible that John wrote, uh, verse 9 should sound a little familiar to you, right? I'm going to read it again. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Right? Maybe you're familiar with John 3.16, written by the same John. He writes, he's recording the words of Jesus, but in those in that verse, right, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right, that's the same John that wrote that. It's the same John that writes this. And his point is that if you need tangible evidence that God is a God of love, then you need to look no further than the cross. Right, it's, it's the cross of Jesus Christ is where God put his love on full display. Especially in those moments where we're tempted to say, like, I don't know how God could be loving in this moment. We've got the cross that is a symbol of God's ridiculous love for you. Right? So just so we're all on the same page, here's going to walk through the the gospel and and the cross and what all that means. The the, the reality is, the reality is that um, our greatest need, your greatest need, my greatest need, is not uh, physical healing, it's not uh, financial provision, it's not success and wealth and happiness, right? Those things that we tend to associate with being evidence of God's love, uh, I'm not saying those are bad things, but those are not our greatest need. Right? Your greatest need, my greatest need, is to be reconciled to a holy God. But the problem is, is our sin, right? not, not just the acts that we do, though that's part of it, but like our sin nature, like we're born into it, our sin separates us from God. Right? There's, a, there's a gap or a chasm between us and our Creator because of our sin and our sin nature. And because of that, we are deserving of, of God's wrath. We're deserving of death. We're deserving of separation from God in a place that we, like a literal place that we believe is, is called hell. Eternity apart from God. Right? That's the bad news this morning. And to compound that bad news a little bit, I promise it'll get good in here in just a minute. To compound that bad news, not only are we separated from God in our sin and, and deserving of his wrath and death and punishment for all eternity, to compound that, like, we can't dig ourselves out of that hole. There's no amount of good works or uh, religious to-dos or good behavior or church attendance. There's no amount of things that that we can do to prove ourselves or make ourselves worthy before God. The the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament just says that the best that we have to offer is filthy rags. We we can't earn our way back into God's uh, favor. It's not on us. Left to ourselves... We're hopeless. And maybe you would interject here and say, like, I thought you said God was love. 
right? How could this God that's loving uh, be a God that would condemn uh, sinful people to an eternity in hell apart from him? How, how could a God that's loving pour out his wrath on sin? And that is a great question. And I'm going to come back to that in just a minute, all right? But, but the bad news is we are sinful people deserving of, of death, destruction, God's wrath. But the good news is that God sent his only son. This is John's point here, right? God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And John goes on to say that, that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Right? That word propitiation, I think we've talked about it before. It just means to, to satisfy God's wrath. So yes, God is angry towards sin. God hates sin. God pours out his wrath on sin. But the good news of the gospel is that God sent his only son into the world to live the perfect life that you could not live. To die on the cross the death that you deserve. And he rose three days later to prove that his death was sufficient payment for sin so that all who believe in him, all who trust in Jesus as the only sufficient payment for sin, receive the forgiveness of their sin and the hope of eternal life. Or as, as John says, we might live through him. Not through us, but through trust and belief that Jesus was the only sufficient payment. The only, the only one that could satisfy God's wrath toward our sin was Jesus. Now, to come back to, to what I mentioned earlier, how do we, how do we reconcile uh, if God is love? What about all this wrath stuff? And if, if God is love, why, why are we talking about death and destruction and punishment and hell? And the, what I would, because like at a surface level, I will acknowledge those things seem to be at odds with one another, right? Love and wrath do not seem like they are the same thing. But what I would submit to you is that love and wrath or love and anger are actually just two sides of the same coin. And here's what I mean, right? If you love something, like genuinely, deeply love something, then all of a sudden you have the, uh, the, the ability to also experience wrath and anger. Right? If you are a parent, you know this. Right? The thing that you love the most, maybe not the most, you should probably love your spouse the most, but this thing that you love, this child, all of a sudden when, when that becomes threatened, when the object of your love becomes threatened, what do you do? You flare up, right? Anger. Wrath. Right? Any mama bears in the room? Right? When somebody threatens your child, all of a sudden you're like, the claws come out, right? And what that is, is it's just your deep love in, in this person that causes you to also be a person of anger and wrath. Right? Like, for me, I, like, I'm a pretty calm person, right? I come by it honest, I get it from my dad, right? I'm a fairly calm person that takes a lot to get me worked up. I don't get angry real easy, right? But... It wasn't until uh, we had our first child that I realized I had a propensity to just snap. And it came when this, I can't tell you the full story because it would take forever, but uh, long story short, uh, we were like new parents and our, our firstborn, we found out he needed some test, testing done. The insurance company wouldn't approve the testing at first. And like, I've never been more angry in my life. 
Like, I thought I was just going to have to, like, quit ministry. <laughs> like, I'm losing my testimony over this, right? I didn't even know that was in me until this object of my love was threatened. I thought I was going to have to go John Q on somebody, right? I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's a great movie. Um, it's about a father who uh, is willing to give up his life to save his children. Maybe has some gospel undertones there. But anyways, if you haven't seen it, it's a great movie. Check it out. Anyways, sidetracked. My point is this. Our anger may not always be righteous. In fact, it probably rarely is. Right? But like the opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love is not wrath. The opposite of love is apathy and indifference. That's the opposite of love. Like how unloving would it be for God to have seen us in our sin and just been like, eh, what can you do? Right? But that's not what he did. Right? Because God's default position towards us, his creation is one of love. Anything that threatens that, sin, like of course God's wrath is going to come in on that, right? Because our sin has the, the, the ability to destroy us and separate us from God forever. And so, of course he's going to respond with wrath towards the thing that poses the most danger to us. Sin. His response to our sin is wrath. Right? But what God has this ability to do is not only does he move towards our sin in wrath, he also moves towards us in grace and mercy and compassion. Yes, God hates sin. Yes, God pours out his wrath on sin. But he also poured out his wrath on his son on the cross so that all who believe and trust in him would not have to experience that wrath for themselves. So if you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus, I would just beg you. The wrath of God will either be poured out on you or it was poured out on Jesus in your place. And if you've never trusted in Jesus, I just invite you to come this morning. Come. Jesus satisfied God's wrath toward you. Jesus was the propitiation for your sin. God is love. He has offered his son to satisfy God's wrath towards you. All right? So God displayed his love to us. And here's what this means for us. Here's, here's what's required of us. Read verses 11 and 12. John writes, Beloved, if God so loved us, and he did, then we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Right, here's John's logic, right? His line of thinking is, God is love, so those who are uh, made in his image those who are his children, adopted into his family, should have the same characteristics as their heavenly father. If God is love and we should have those same characteristics, then we should be a people marked by love for one another. All right, now that's, I'm not going to unpack that fully because that was last week's sermon. If you missed it, uh, Andrew did a phenomenal job of talking about what it looks like for us to love one another. Go check it out on the website, on the podcast. It's all there for you, okay? But here's what I, I, I do want us to do this morning is 
to take this and, and kind of connect it back to like the overarching purpose in John's letter. All right, we, we started this series on 1 John. The thing that we, we kind of, the, the starting point was that 1 John is a letter written by John to, to assure believers they were walking in the truth. Right? His letter basically is just like, here's how you know if you are walking in the truth, right? if you're walking in the light. Right? He's writing to confirm genuine saints, genuine believers. Right? And his point here in this is, is that if you've experienced God's love and you've genuinely received it and you're walking in the truth, then your life should be marked by love for others. Right? It's, a, it's evidence. Right? Your love for others is evidence of having experienced God's love for yourself. Right? Your love towards others is, is evidence of uh, God at work in you. It's evidence that you're walking in the truth. So here's kind of a, a, a landing point this morning. It's just, just a time to kind of self-diagnose a little bit. Right? To, if you want to know if you're walking in the truth, then what John's going to say is one of the things that you can do that is just sort of by assessing how do you love one another. Like, how's that playing out in your life? Right? Do, you, do you have, this is the first question, do you have a genuine love for others? Right? And, and, and like Andrew talked about last week, not just in uh, word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. Do you, do you move towards others, especially those in this room? Do you move towards others in, in love and compassion and service? Right? Do, you, uh, do you have a, a willingness or, or a desire to live in community with one another? Right? This is a, a family. This is the household of God. Do you, part of what it means to love one another is to exist in relationship with one another. So do you have a a willingness, a desire to live in fellowship, in relationship, in community with other men and women, especially those in this room, right? Um, is there a, a willingness to sacrifice for others, to kind of lay aside your own comforts, your own conveniences, your own preferences, to extend love and compassion and kindness to others. Right? Our, our life should be marked by that. Is there, do, you, do you look for opportunities to serve others? And then when those opportunities present themselves, do you step forward in obedience? Right? But here, here's what the Lord does. He, he lays things on our hearts. Right? He may put a person's uh, name on your heart. He may put a, a scenario on your heart. And the response to that is should be not to just kind of push it off and just say, like, man, eh, somebody else will take care of that, or uh, I'll inform the church so they can take care of that. It, it, I'm not saying don't do that, but move towards that. It's an opportunity to love and serve someone. This is what our life should be marked by genuine. Love for one another, not just in word or in talk, but in deed and in truth. So here's 
kind of finish up this morning. Here, here's, here's the summary, right? God is love. And all who have been born of God, who have been adopted into God's family through trust in Jesus Christ, we should reflect his character, which means we should reflect his love to the world around us. Right, here's, how, here's how John writes it in uh, his gospel. John 13, 35. He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So according to John, if you want the world to know, you want assurance to know that you are a, a disciple of Jesus Christ, it won't be by your knowledge. It won't be by your church attendance. It won't be by... Uh, being able to speak sort of the Christian lingo. Right? It won't be by just having the right answers to the right questions. Right? If you want people to know that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, according to John, according to God, his word, the assurance of that is by how we love one another. Right? God is love. God has displayed his love to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ so that we might be marked by love for one another. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning. Uh, one, just grateful that we can call you Father. Or just as we just talked about, as your word is, is laid open that um, Lord, we don't, we don't deserve to be adopted into your family. Our, our sin separates us from you. But in the greatest act of love that the world has ever seen, you sent your son to, to pay the price for our sins so that we might be reconciled to you, adopted into your family, and we get to call you Father. So, Father, I, I pray this morning that... Um, that we, as your people, would be a people marked by love. And that, that would be, it would be more than just this sort of idea or philosophy or, or, or something sort of ethereal that we know we should assent to. Uh, I pray that it would be more than that, that it would be like practical, that we would, uh, or as, as we see opportunities to love and serve others, as you bring those opportunities to mind, as, uh, as those opportunities are presented to us, I pray that we would respond in obedience and that we would be people marked by love towards one another. And then, Father, as, as we close our time together here this morning, if there's someone here this morning that maybe for the first time their eyes are being opened or their hearts are being opened to the love that you have for them, I pray that they would respond to that. For, for maybe, maybe there's someone here that's never trusted in you as Savior. I pray that, that your love for them would just be so real to them this morning. You've, you've put it on display at the cross of Jesus Christ, and I pray that, that they would step forward, that they would respond to that love by trusting in Jesus as the only sufficient payment for sin. So Lord, we love you only because you first loved us. And we pray and we ask all this in Jesus' name.
Amen.